Cheesehead. Cheeseheads. Get on your feet. It's Curd and Law. Hosted by Sparky Fighter and Ryan Horvath. Hey, it's Steve Sparky, Viper 1250 AM, The Fan, here in beautiful Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Another edition of Curd and Long. As I said in the last episode, we had Kevin Holden on from CBS 58 in Milwaukee, Ryan Horvath out uh, the rest of the week. Uh, so here on our Friday edition, we have our guy Marcus Eversall. And you know who Marcus Eversall is. You better call Eversall in the afternoons at WDUZ uh, in Green Bay. He joins us. Follow him on Twitter at Marcus Eversall. What's up, dude? Long time no talk. How you been? It's been a while. Good to talk to Sparky, as always. I've been good. As you know, I we just had our first kid back in late February, so it's been an adjustment, but it's been a fun adjustment. That No doubt. So I, I, I guess my, my first question is, before we get into the sports and the, and the Packers and, and everything else, how, how's your boss, Jimmy Clark, handling daddy Marcus Eversall versus the previous Mark has ever saw because as individuals, you, you change a little bit once you have a baby and you have these other responsibilities. Probably is he, is he the understanding boss, Jimmy Clark? Jimmy's been really good. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think so. I took some time for paternity leave right away. And yeah, I, I mean, I can't complain about, how Jimmy or anybody else has handled things. It's been a pretty good team so far. Also got to thank Bill and Rookie because because of our staff size, their responsibilities have also changed. So like when I was out, Bill had to cover the afternoon, which affected the morning. So yeah, teamwork makes the dream work, I'm told. But it also shows you how valuable you truly are to the staffs. So now you go ask for your raise because they just went through it. See, if I'm not here, do you see how much more work y'all have? I need some more money. Pay me. I'm Marcus Eversall, baby. That's how this works. That's how you That's you how you play the angle. angle, Marcus. Yes. All right. So yeah, I, I you got you on, Curtin Long, because we've not had anybody. Well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, we've had the, the Packer beat writers on, but I've not uh, really dived or dove into the Green Bay aspect of things and how people that live there are kind of handling this whole thing uh, going on. We get the Milwaukee perspective uh, down here, uh, but it's, I would assume it's probably a little bit different up in Green Bay. You talk to the, to the people that live in Green Bay all the time. So how has this been for fans up in Green Bay as the transition from Rodgers to the eventual trade of Rodgers to now knowing the reality of, you know, next week uh, we, we go again with OTAs and Jordan Love and crew and now he's your starting quarterback. It's really interesting. I'd be anxious to hear how you feel if it's any different between Green Bay and Milwaukee, because in Green Bay, at least what I gather, what I've heard from people is that it's kind of a funny dynamic because even though the Rogers divorce got a little bit messy with the whole, you know, my house is too big for the Wi-Fi and the cell phone connection, when God knows whatever else he's trying to spew it was only so messy compared to the Favre divorce. Like it was nothing compared to the summer of 2008, but even though it didn't get as messy, I feel like back in 08 with Favre, it was way more polarizing where you had fans that were, you know, all in on Favre, don't give up, you know, run it back, let him do whatever he wants. And with Rogers, I just don't get that sense. I get the sense from Packer nation. Like it's just time. We're ready to move on. And I think there's a real, I don't know if excitement's the right. I, I certainly think 
think plenty of people are about just an intrigue at at the unknown of what might be to come. I think expectations have certainly changed as they should going from a four-time MVP to a first-year starter. But generally speaking, I'd say the vast majority of people that I hear from are excited about moving on. I know there are other fan bases. Like I talked to a, actually a, one of our golf experts and he's a big bear fan. And he's like, I'm kind of perplexed at how Packer fans seem to be just kicking Rogers out the door and, you know, hurried up to say bye-bye to him. Like, well, what's going on there? And it's an interesting question because I, I do feel like generally speaking, the majority of fans, vast majority are just ready to move on and excited about what's next. You know, that's, that's interesting that you say that because down here, I feel like it's, it's pretty much the same way, but I wonder Marcus, whether or not the Favre experience prepared this fan base better as far as reaction to how this was going to go for Rogers. So if Rogers would have went first, would it have been as polarizing people as angry um, versus with Brett, you know, Brett happens and you're right. It was split. Like, that was horrible. It was, he split Packer Nation in half. Half said to hell with you. We're done with the Packers. We're following him wherever he goes and we're done. We hate Ted Thomas. We hate Mike McCarthy. We hate everybody. Now it doesn't feel that way. Now it feels like, I don't know what the split would be, but probably like 90% or maybe even higher than that. Like, that's fine. You can trade them. We're good. Yeah. And if we go through some struggles, that's okay, but we're done with it. And I think part of the reason is, and it's going to sound awful, but Part of the reason is that McAfee show, right? And congratulations to Pat McAfee going to ESPN. Your show will never be the same again. Um, but uh, him being on that show, I think, turned off a lot of people as far as kind of what they thought of him and who they thought they were. And Brett never really had that opportunity. You know, he would ramble on nonstop at press conferences, but that's not the same as doing like a half hour talk show uh, once a week and going into topics outside of football. And doing all kinds of different stuff. And what I think happened is a lot of people decided they don't really like the dude. And then once you don't like the dude, and then the dude doesn't play at an MVP level, and the dude's still talking about how great he is and everything else, you're like, I'm okay. We're good. We can go on. Because nobody knows who Jordan Love is. Nobody knows anything about Jordan Love. But they do know Jordan Love's been there for three years. He got in a little bit. They saw what they liked when he was in a lot better than they did the previous two years. So they feel a little bit more comfortable in the fact that he may not suck. If he does suck next year's draft has two great quarterbacks at the top. If you are God awful, that maybe you can snag one of them. If things goes completely sideways on you, Arch Manning is looming in a couple of years. If that doesn't work. So there is some hope from that perspective, but going back to what I was originally saying, do you think the far fiasco kind of really helped this fan base deal with this one? I think you're definitely onto something there. And, and also not only did, first of all, nobody wanted because of the timing, nobody, none of the parties involved, the Packers or Rogers, none of them wanted to go through 2008 again. I mean, Rogers right. saw how polarizing it was. It wouldn't have helped anybody. Nobody would have come out of it looking good. So there's that. And also the fact that in 2008, there was Brett's, retirement and then the kind of quiet unretirement that he tried to come back that no one really talked about. And then he's like, ah, no, never mind. I'm still retired. And then the attempted or then the unretirement that everybody talked about, it was like that waffling kind of became a polarizing thing too. But you're right. I mean, if the roles were reversed and Favre were, you know, if the divorce were happening now with Favre, you're probably right. It would be the polarizing factor would probably be flipped. 
And I, and I also think as far as the McAfee show, it is really interesting because in the last few years, it felt like, I mean, Aaron for the longest time was so private about his private life. Like he didn't want to share anything. Right. And then in the last few years, he started going on McAfee in that, that first year after they drafted Jordan Love and he wins MVP and he's going on this, I don't know, kind of sounding like Bill Walton type free spirit, you know, like, oh, you know, just appreciative and showing gratitude towards anything and everything. And it's, it's like, man, something's, something's changed about him, but I kind of like it. And then you find out in the off season that the dude was pissed off the entire time and basically yeah. trying to go scorched earth on everybody. And I don't think he was ever over that. I don't think no matter what they did, he was never going to fully get over that of, of them drafting his successor. And now here we are. And it, uh, one, one dynamic I am super anxious to see is how the public perception or how the fan perception will be balancing the fact that Jordan Love is a first-year starting quarterback, which usually demands some patience. There's going to be ups and downs. He's a first-year starting quarterback. And on the other hand, he's a fourth-year pro who's been in the system for three years. Part of your plan all along was to not put him on the field too early, allow him to sit, develop, watch Rodgers. Well, he did that for three years. So your plan was that by the time you put him on the field, he's ready to play. So how are people going to balance that? I'm sure everybody will be completely level-headed about it, but first-year starter, you expect some ups and downs. And then on the other hand, it's like, this was part of the plan. He should be ready to play. But, but this is the thing, though. They didn't, they're not putting him in a position to succeed this year. Like, they've done everything in their power to put him in a position that's going to be overly difficult for him to deal with. He's not walking into Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, Devontae Adams, and Donald Driver, a veteran wide receiver and core that he gets to play with. He's walking into his veterans being in their second year. That's his veteran wide receivers. His tight ends are rookies. He's not walking into a positive situation. He's the longest tenured guy of the skill position players at this point. Him and Aaron Jones, I think, and AJ, Aaron Jones has him, I think, by a year. But then AJ Dillon and him. So from that perspective, they're not putting him in a position to succeed now. The thought is he'll be in a position to succeed in two to three years. The issue is the extension is only two years, this year and next year, and that's all you get. So while he may be okay, these receivers are running wrong routes, making different sight adjustments, and now his interceptions go up, not because of him, but because something he's doing. What's the public perception of Jordan Love going to be? Oh, crap. He threw 15 picks. Like, what the heck are you doing? Why did you keep him for? And now this is where I think social media helps, right? Because if you're on Twitter, you'll have the Ben Fennels of the world and the Dusty Evelys and Sam Holmans of the world on Twitter showing you that, dude, that wasn't him. Like, this receiver clearly screwed this route up or whatever else. And they're going to try and educate fans as best they can. And LaFleur, I'm sure, will be covering for him as well to a certain degree without throwing his young wide receivers under the bus. But that's going to be a part of it. You know, if he comes into a veteran-laden wide receiving core and he throws a bunch of picks, nobody's going to go to the wide receiving core. Y'all ran the wrong routes. No, you didn't do the right thing. In this situation, if he does throw a lot of picks and things go sideways, the bailout will be those young guys, but will the fans accept it? I I don't know. It's a great point. I mean, in 2008, you just listed all the guys that Aaron Rodgers inherits. First of all, he inherits a team that had just gone to the NFC Championship game, so the cupboard wasn't exactly bare. And I'm not saying the cupboard's completely bare in Green Bay either. It's not a horrible roster, but to your point, in the form of 
the skill position players, the supporting cast around them, it is, it's not even apples to oranges. It's apples to giraffes comparing what Rogers had in 2008 <laughs> to what Aaron Rodgers, to what Jordan Love has in 2023. Yep. I mean, their most tenured receiver in his second season is Christian Watson, who basically didn't really break out until midway through last season. Like, I think he has a lot. I think I like the talent they put around him. I'm excited to see them grow together. Like, I'm not really interested at, at this point is a, is one of the middle tier veteran free agent receivers available right now. Really going to make a huge difference. Is that going to be the difference between okay. going seven and 10 or 10? So, but I, I'd rather see him grow together. But the problem is to your point, like, are people going to be patient enough or are the Packers going to be patient enough to see this through two, three years? Uh, we've talked about this on Curtin Long and the name I continuously throw out, but he has to be understanding of the fact of, look, dude, you're going to get 15 snaps a game. I can get a lot of a lot of playing time, right? 15 snaps a game, but you're going to be as much of a coach as you are a player in helping us get these young wide receivers ready. T.Y. Hilton. I mean, T.Y. Hilton came in at the end of last year for the Cowboys, played well, been in Indianapolis forever, great teammate, great guy. Everybody loves this dude. You know, if you're willing to pay him to come in and he's willing to do that, I think that makes sense. But it's got to be a guy that, A, has the respect of everybody in the room when he walks in. When that dude walks in, they all should know who T.Y. Hilton is from watching him on TV. So you should know who he is, so there's automatic respect there. And then it's a guy that can grasp an offense quick because he's been around offenses for a while and then be able to help kind of teach these guys in the room. Because without that, it is going to be tough. And I just thought of something else. You just brought it up. Their most tenured wide receivers are Dobbs and Watson. Neither one played a full season. Neither mm-hmm. one have played 17 games. They haven't even played 16 games. Both of them missed games throughout the season. So really, neither one of those two guys have played a full season in the NFL yet as far as games played. Neither one of them. It's kind of funny. One of the narratives about Rodgers and how the Packers, you know, wasted Aaron or they didn't put enough around him. Like, that's all anybody would say, right? They're not giving him enough weapons, which, I mean, we could go back 15 years. The one thing yeah, he did have – for yeah at least 12 of the 15 the one thing he always had was a bunch of weapons like heaven forbid they weren't taken in the first 32 picks they got watson at 34 and jordy at 36 but let's just conveniently ignore that but it's kind of a funny dynamic going from rogers where everybody says oh the packers didn't put enough around them you know or last year too many young guys well now you're handing the keys to a first year starting quarterback at 24 years old with the same group of weapons minus alan lazard Randall Cobb and Mercedes Lewis, the only real veterans you had from the pass catching perspective. So now it's like, basically you're tossing the keys to a kid who just got his temps and you're like, good luck kid, you know, don't crash. So that it is a really, really interesting dynamic. I mean, I'm excited to see Like I, I really am. I'm excited to see what love can do. And at the same time, it's like, man, with what he's working with right now, realistically, what's the ceiling for his first season individually? I, I don't know. See, that's the thing, though. And when you come into this, in my opinion, if this team wins eight, nine games, the NFC better watch the hell out next year. Because mm-hmm. if they win eight or nine games with as much inexperience as they have at the skill positions, and in Jordan Love's first year as a starter, and they do, they do that well, and they're all kind of getting their feet wet together, and now you give them a full offseason of kind of knowing the offense a little bit and being able to make some adjustments – this offense could be really good if Jordan Love is okay 
based on some of these. I mean, that, that kid Wicks that they drafted in the, in the on the day three, he might end up getting significant playing time if you watch him play in college. I mean, there are some guys here. I don't think the people realize it. You'll see it when you get to training camp. They've got a lot of talent at wide receiver, a lot. And they're yeah. young, and a lot of them are bigger and faster uh, that are going to play well. And then the tight ends, to be able to run two tight ends uh, and be able to do what they want to do. We haven't seen that since Chamur and Jackson, really. They, they haven't had that type of talent at the tight end position. And I think that position is going to be the biggest key to this team, not only from the aspect of catching the football, but running the football and what you can do out of those formations to be able to run two tight ends uh, and two two wide receivers and whatever you want to do at running back and be able to run so much out of that set is going to make it very difficult on defenses. So first of all, what you just said about the two tight ends, that's another thing that I think we're going to see a completely different dynamic here. Obviously, the tight end has not been a big part of the Packers offense for a long time. Frankly, it's been a revolving door since Jermichael Finley's career was cut short. I know they had yep. one good year of Jared Cook inexplicably let him walk. He outpriced himself, whatever happened. And then Robert Tunyon had a good year in 2020. Clearly, after further review, that 2020 Robert Tunyon season was the exception, not the rule. I Robert Tunyon was not that. So I think you look at why has the tight end disappeared or why hasn't the tight end been prevalent for the Packers for so long? Because it's been through different schemes, different coaching staffs from McCarthy to Lafleur. Number one, they haven't had a dude. They haven't had a Jermichael Finley since they lost Jermichael Finley. That's first and foremost. Second of all, people want to say, well, is it just the LaFleur offense that, you know, the tight end kind of disappeared? No. I mean, LaFleur comes from the Shanahan coaching tree type thing, which is all around the league. Pretty sure a lot of do the Niners not use George Kittle. So that goes back to the point where the Packers ju- haven't just had the dude. And second of all, You look at the way Aaron Rodgers played quarterback, let's be real. Something that makes him great is that he takes great care of the football. Doesn't take a ton of chances. Yeah, he's made highlight throws up the seam, but he's far more likely. Look at the advanced metrics where he delivers the football. He likes to throw to the perimeter. It's the safest part of the field. He likes to go to the sideline, not put the ball in harm's way. Where does the tight end do the majority of his damage? In the middle of the field. Plus the fact that they drafted a tight end in the second round and doubled down with another one in the third round. I think now with the transition from Rodgers to Love, we're going to see more of that authentic Matt LaFleur offense where the tight end, I believe, will be a much bigger factor. It might be a disaster. I'm not saying it's going to be glorious, you know, year one, all of a sudden sparks are going to fly and it's going to be fireworks, but I would be shocked if the tight end's not a huge part of this offense moving forward. And typically, rookie tight ends don't come into the league and produce right away. That, that's one of the most difficult positions for rookies to come in and put up big numbers. But these two guys, Luke Musgrave and Tucker Kraft, they're going to have to because they're going to be on the field. They don't have any other options. So it's going to be trial by fire. There's no question about that. Now let's talk about uh, the guy that is going to probably feel more heat than anybody. That's Joe Barry, the defensive coordinator. When we did the uh, podcast with Kevin Holden, uh, on Wednesday, I lost my mind over the Joe Barry press conference. And, you know, we don't have local sports talk anymore on 1250 in Milwaukee. <clears throat> so once in a while, I'll flip on the other two sports talk stations in town to kind of see what they're doing. And I didn't hear anybody react to it. And I I was going to just absolutely throw my phone against the wall when I heard Joe Barry say this. It came up in the press conference, and I don't know who asked it. I don't remember. Said, uh, 
about, you know, kind of expectations. You got all these first rounders on defense. Like, you know, you kind of feel that pressure with all these first rounders. And Joe Barry's response was, as far as expectations go, and Joe Barry's response was something along the lines of, well, what if we had a bunch of seventh rounders on the defense? Would expectations change? And the reporter, whoever it was, didn't respond. And Joe Barry goes, no, it wouldn't change. You would still have high expectations for this defense. I was like, no, that's BS. Your general manager would have been fired and there'd be no expectations for that defense. None whatsoever. Instead, it's, yeah, you better be in the top five, dude. You got a lot of talent over there. It better, you better figure this out. And it's not the same thing. And they, they let him off the hook with that cockamamie dumb answer that he had. I said with Kevin Holden, I give him to the bye week. If this defense sucks up to the bye week, he's gone. I'll promote somebody else from the staff to run it for the rest of the season, but I'm not going through another season of this if he doesn't figure it out. Now, this defense looks like it did at the end of last year and they're playing well, fine, then we're good. But to me, he has to the bye week. And if this defense is horrible, then I'm moving on to giving somebody else a chance. How long does Joe Barry have with you, Marcus Eversall? Um, Five months ago, like I, I'm done. I just, I'm until I see Joe Barry push all the right buttons and put it all together, I won't believe that he's going to push all the buttons and put it together. And as you were kind of laying that out there, I spent much of Tuesday afternoon show kind of, well, basically eviscerating the same thing. I, I was kind of guessing which response you were you're going to refer to, but I, I was imagining it was also the, the first round. So you got eight first round picks playing on defense. Does that come with high expectations? Well, let me turn this little game around on you. If our defense was made up of all seventh-round picks, yep. would expectations not be high? No, they wouldn't be as high. First of all, if a defense was comprised of all seventh-round picks, that would be pretty damn impressive by general manager Brian Gudikins. Let's not ignore that. Like, you have a starting defense, all seventh-round picks. Damn, the GM's doing a pretty good job. But the bottom line is, and Joe just I – don't, I don't think Joe wants to acknowledge this. When he answered the question like that, he's got to know. The bottom line is – They have poured so many resources into your side of the ball. Eight first-round picks, all the money they've poured. Obviously, Preston Smith, a big free agent acquisition. Devondre Campbell, huge extension. Jair Alexander, Kenny Clark. I mean, you've got a bunch of studs on defense. Think about it from a numbers perspective. Eight first-round picks. Last I checked, you can only play 11 players on the field at one time. 72% of your defense was picked in the top 32? Like, yeah, I'm sorry. Admit it or not, Joe Barry, but that will bring high expectations. It's kind of funny, though, because I think we all agree that, like, the what's the word expectations mean? Like, what do you expect to happen, right? So I think we all agree that they have, they have enough talent. They should be good on defense. From a personnel perspective, the talent, they should be good. And yet, if I ask myself that question, what are your expectations for the defense? <laughs> nah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like middle of the pack, slightly below average. Yeah. So we all talk about how there's high expectations on defense. And then you think about it for a second. And you're like, are there really high expectations for this defense? Not when it's coordinated by Joe Barry, not for me. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Uh, let's move on. Brian Goodenkins. We talked uh, on the last podcast about Matt LaFleur, how long his honeymoon gets to be with first year starter Jordan Love. What Kevin Holden and I did not talk about was, what about Brian Gutenkunz now? So how long of a leash does a Goody have here now that he gets to have his quarterback? Uh, and he's still on his first coach. Most GMs get two coaches. And you have Mark Murphy, who's overseeing the whole thing, obviously. 
How long of a leash do you think Goody gets with this deal here to make sure this is right for Mark Murphy? I think that's such a fascinating question, and I can go back and forth on it. Obviously, Goody's big swing was trading up for Jordan Love in 2020. So, to three, Goody's career and Love's career are tied together. With the position, it feels like Goody and LaFleur are both just like a package deal. That is how it works. But with, I mean, it's funny because when Goody took over for for Ted Thompson, when they gave him the job, his job wasn't as much to like, typically take over GM's always got one eye on the here and now one eye on the future. Goody did too, to some degree. However, what Goody inherited was a, a roster that they wanted to win right away. They're trying to capitalize on Aaron Rodgers' window. So it was a little different dynamic where he's looking at the, at the next several years. They obviously hire Matt LaFleur. They win 13 games, go to the NFC Championship game right away. Right after they signed Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, you know, Billy Turner, Adrian Amos, and totally remade the roster. And he hit on like everything he did in that first offseason in 2019. It was, I mean, picture perfect, the – the cookie cutter template for how you want to, I guess, rebuild in one year and turn a team into a contender. They did that. And then 2020, another 13 win season fall just short NFC title game the next year, another 13 win season. And then they run it back for a fourth year and it just, it all fell apart. They weren't as good as they thought they'd be. So it was like when Goody inherited this job, it was mission accomplished. Like he did quickly turn the team into a contender and, they didn't win a Super Bowl. I think two of the four years their team was good enough to do it. They just didn't, and it sucks for Packer fans, and it was a missed opportunity. And you look back at Aaron Rodgers' Packers career and think, damn, he never got back to a Super Bowl after 2010. That's a failure. I think Goody built two teams that were good enough to win Super Bowls in that window, which was his job. And now it's like, okay, you turn the page, and it's kind of – it's kind of a non-answer because I, I don't know how long his leash is because it's a completely different scenario now where you're setting up yourself for – like when he made the pick, he's obviously putting an expiration date on Rodgers and you're saying that Jordan loves the next franchise quarterback. But now it's like – I guess I'll call it chapter two of the book of Brian Gutekinst, and, and I don't know where they go from here. Let's take it to the next step. What about Mark Murphy? How much more longer is Murphy going to want to stick around and do this? They have the successor in waiting in my mind, Ed Policy. That's who should be the next guy. Uh, that should be his job once Murphy decides he's done. Whether you know he goes to work for the league office, he retires, whatever the case may be. Do you have any sense from being in Green Bay where Murphy's energy level is and where Murphy's at as far as doing this job and as he had hinted at in any of these little local luncheons or whatever of how much longer he plans on doing this? I don't have a good sense of it. I feel like he's getting close to the age where he'll probably move on. But I I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I think Mark Murphy, he always seems like he has the energy, right? I mean, Mark Murphy, as long as he's yes. been on the job, always seems like the same guy. But the for some reason, I mean, he seems to be somewhat of a, a polarizing guy, I guess, because – I mean, sometimes he's got an awkward way of saying things. Sometimes he'll say something that maybe he shouldn't. Like He's too honest sometimes. Yeah, it's exactly. I mean, citing Ted Thompson saying Aaron Rodgers is a complicated fella in an offseason where he's not even talking to the team. The two sides aren't talking. It's like he probably didn't need to say that. And then three years later, you're like, 
if he's not a complicated fellow, who is a complicated fellow? Or like, what? A, uh, that's exactly what he is. I think under under Murphy's watch, another thing is, you know, the whole power structure where the coach and GM report to Murphy, and that's not necessarily how it was in the past. At the time, it was like, ooh, you know, don't change anything from the from the Ron Wolf era. It's like the, we had success doing that. Don't change anything. They've had a lot of success in the last few years. You know, every, under Mark Murphy's watch, they've done a lot of good things. So, I, I mean, I don't have a good sense of how long he's going to keep doing it, but for the most part, I think he's done a good job. I am hoping that he doesn't end up being a coward in all of this. I am hoping he does not leave until that quarterback position is fixed and in good hands going forward. That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that if Jordan Love struggles next year, he doesn't be like, all right, it's been fun. I'm out of here. Good luck to y'all. Uh, good luck to your my successor. He can find the next quarterback. I'm out. Like, I hope that's not where this goes. I hope when he decides to pick up and get that he leaves this team in really good hands as far as quarterback of the future is set. We're in a good position. We're a perennial playoff team. My successor is good. I'm out. Because if you think about it, Murphy's legacy is not going to be the football field. I'm sorry. As of right now, Murphy's legacy is all the business and all the structure around Lambeau field, the land they bought, everything they've done with the title town district, uh, the additions to Lambeau field. That's his legacy. The business side is his legacy. And for that, I say a plus you, the man, like amazing job. Well done with everything you've done to build up that area. Now, I don't know what the fine folks in Green Bay think of what he's done, but from an outsider perspective, it looks like he's done an amazing job. But the football field side, even though they've been relatively successful, I don't think he's remembered for that. I think he's going to be remembered for the business side of things, Marcus. Totally. I mean, and, you know, like Bob Harlan with the expansion of Lambeau Field and the atrium and bringing all the business in there. It's yeah. I mean, Mark Murphy, the title town district is it's not sometimes I drive by there and I, I live less than a mile from the stadium. And it's like I'll just have a vision of what it looked like five years ago, 10 years ago when I'd come up for training camp as a kid. And it's like, damn, I mean, they, they got a full size football field there with the field turf and everything. And kids are always running around playing catch, kicking field goals and stuff. I mean, that is, they're printing money over there. And you're absolutely right. The The biggest impact Mark Murphy has made is that there's no doubt about it. It's on the business side. It's with that title town district. And, you know, I, I'm sure he'd love to before he steps away, make sure the franchise is in a good place at the most important position. And that's why I kind of, to bring it full circle, this whole season, you know, we, every year the schedule comes out and it's like, I know we all laugh about it because it doesn't matter, but right away schedule comes out and I'll go through and, you know, wins and losses, whatever. This year felt completely different than ever before, because I just, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but I just feel like if you tell me how Jordan Love played, like what were his numbers? Do you have a good feeling on whether he's the guy or whether he's not? You tell me that, I'll tell you if I think it was a successful season or not. You know, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, 6-10, and 10, <clears throat> or the Packers go 6-10, and 10, Rodgers' first year as the starter. But five games in, Ted Thompson saw enough to give him his first huge contract extension. Everybody knew he was the franchise quarterback. So 6-10, and 10, it's like, Okay, fine. We got our franchise quarterback. This year is all about Jordan Love for me, period. Like if, if he looks like the franchise quarterback and they go seven and 10, cool. Or if he flops and you know that I kind of have a hard time seeing this, but if he completely flops and you know he's not the guy, 
then as you said earlier, next year's quarterback class is, is really good, at least on paper. Maybe you're in a position to go up and get Caleb Williams. Maybe you don't even have to go up if things really go belly up, you know, or, or Drake May from North Carolina. If you if you have a, a clear-cut vision of Jordan Love's immediate and long-term future at the end of this season, I think it's mission accomplished. This is the thing. It's funny you say that about the schedule. Leading up to the schedule release, I said it was the most important schedule drop maybe in the last 20 or 30 years for the Green Bay Packers. And the reason I said that was you did not want to see three or four tough teams in the beginning of the schedule. You wanted it to be as cupcake as possible to start. I wanted division games, Falcons, Raiders, whoever it may be. I wanted easier games early on, right? That schedule came out and I was like, perfect. Like you could not have asked for a better scenario for this team than the way these first five games play out going into the bye week. I look at it and I'm going, they could be three and two. They might be four and one going into the bye week. They may be that good. Now, if they're the opposite, Joe Barry's getting fired because that means more than likely the defense sucked and he's out and you're going to have a change. But you could not have asked for a better scenario, I think, if you're LaFleur. To open up against a guy that is the most overhyped player in NFL history in Justin Fields uh, in week one is beautiful. Like, I'm all about it. Great. Let's go. The Atlanta Falcons are about as young as you are on offense at this point. Ritter's going to be in his first full season. B. John Robinson, that'll be his, what, second game? total at that point. They have no receivers outside of Drake London. Tight end is nothing. They have two tight ends, obviously, that, you know, Joanu, uh, who just gets there, who is a former tight end with Arthur Smith and, and uh, Johnny Smith. And then you have, obviously, Kyle Pitts, who last year they played a wide receiver and pretty much ignored half the season. So I feel good about that game. Their defense was awful last year. Now, they've added a lot of old guys to that defense to try and make them better, but that should be a winnable game. And I know, oh my God, Sparky, they're both on the road. It's going to be so difficult. Stop. If they were good football teams, okay, fine. But there was a reason the Bears were awful last year. And do you realize, do you know how many times last year, Justin Fields threw for over 200 yards the entire season? How many times do you think, Marcus? Two, three. Two. Two. Two times the whole season, he threw over 200 yards. And I got to listen to this nonsense talk about MVP, Justin Fields. Oh, I was listening to these these guys on the score in Chicago uh, last week, one night. And I'm listening to them and they're going, you know, you look at this schedule and we've got the quarterback in advantage in a majority of these games. It's like, of I was yeah. like, "What? I, how? How do you? How I can don't. you? How can you say that with a straight face and believe it?" I get DJ Moore is good. Fine, okay, fine. Mm. I, I understand, but they showed an OTA practice. He already threw a pick in the OTA practice. I just, I don't get it. So when you open up against these guys, I'm sorry. I, I feel good, man. And maybe I'll, I'll have egg on my face, and Jordan Love will be the one that sucks. But some of this love that Justin Fields is getting, like he's the next coming, I I just, I don't get it, man. I don't get it either. And plus, you'd think the Bears have enough history of screwing up quarterbacks or proving that they can't find a quarterback that you'd think that would give them a little pumping of the brakes. Like, well, you know, let's not go too far with it. Instead, it's all this MVP stuff. He's a great athlete. He's fun to watch. He'll he'll probably run for 100 yards in the season opener against Joe Barry's defense. That's fine. But excuse me, I'm with you that. I don't know how good of a quarterback Justin Fields is. I don't know how anybody does. I mean, how many throws do you have to see him miss before you're like, 
I'm I'm not sold on the guy. He's a good athlete. I I do love the season opener being in Chicago though because there is all this hype about the Bears. There's all this hype about Justin Fields. Their entire fan base thinks that finally, you know, we have the advantage at quarterback or we don't know that the Packers quarterback is going to kill us for the first time since 92 from the Favre to Rodgers era. Oh, we we knew We'd talk a big game, but we knew we were going to get killed. Now that's not the case. What better way to open the season? If yes. Jordan Love goes down to Chicago, yes. even if he doesn't light it up, but if Jordan <laughs> Love just plays well and the Packers beat the Bears, <laughs> Bear fans are going to see the next decade of their lives just flash before their eyes. Like, it's happening again. Like, this is actually happening. And it would be amazing. It would the be Bears the postgame game. show in Chicago would be must listen. If Jordan Love goes down there, say Jordan Love throws for like 285, three touchdowns, oh, and they lose. And I, Fields throws a couple of interceptions. Oh my God. I, I don't smoke, I don't smoke cigarettes, but I would be lighting up cigarettes listening <laughs> to the floor afterwards. Like, oh God, this, this oh, it would be so good. It but, would be but, so good. The whole the whole schedule, like when I when I went through it and I'm going wins and losses and everything, it's funny because I think you'd agree. This season could go any which direction for yeah. the Packers. I, I like the start of the schedule. I agree. And there's really no super difficult, you know, you never have yep. three straight road games, anything like that. I'm going through it, and there's one game I am like 100% sure I had no question on. The Chiefs, I know it's at Lambeau, but yeah. for the Chiefs, I think the Chiefs will beat the Packers. The Unless Mahomes is hurt. That's the hope you have. Sure. The other 16 games on the schedule – Literally could see the Packers winning, could see the Packers losing, yep. could see a tie. Like, who knows? I have no idea who this team is going to be. I mean, we can make our predictions and everything, and I think I had them 8-9 and nine my first run through, but this season is such an unknown going in, in large part because of the quarterback, that there's one game I feel confident in. Packers will probably lose to the Chiefs. The other 16 games, we'll see. I mean, just think about it this way. If they start off four and one going into that bye week, do you have any idea of the hype train that will be around this Green Bay Packers team in that bye week? I mean, Jordan Love will be doing interviews that whole bye week. They'll have LaFleur everywhere. Packers will be the talk of the league. They come out four and one with how young that team is. And you cannot put a price on confidence. You can't. To talk about how confident that team would be and how much they would believe and trust that, okay. Rodgers is gone, but we got our guy. Not only would the fans be jacked, but I think players in that locker room would be super excited and there would be a full buy-in. Now you go the other way, say they're one in four. Now you may have people in that locker room questioning Mm -hmm. whether or not the Packers made the right, whether or not they made the right decision. Then you're going to hear, you'll be hearing sources inside the locker room say that Jordan Love isn't the guy and the Packers made a mistake. I mean, it could have the exact opposite effect and really tumble the rest of the season out of control. Those first five games are going to make or break this schedule, plain and simple. I would agree. You got to get off to a good start just from the confidence thing is real. The momentum thing is real. I mean, we saw. Heck, last year with with Rodgers, their confidence was shot before that. What was I'm trying to even? It was the the Cowboys game? What they lost yeah. five in a row at one point. It's like oh my God, and they just they totally lost their identity. Well, frankly, not to go on a tangent, but they never had an identity Correct. last year. But I mean, they had they had no confidence whatsoever. But if you start the the Jordan Love era, if you can get to four and one, like that sounds crazy to even say. Like when I think about the Packers with Jordan Love, I, I don't think about them starting four and one. But you look at the schedule and 
that's doable. I mean, I don't know. I don't know about you, but you can see the difference coming off an eight and nine season last year. You can see the difference. This is a third place schedule. I mean, you can just tell it's there's, it's not a daunting schedule on paper. It's hard to say that because we're used to them being, you know, Super Bowl or bust the Aaron Rodgers Packers. And this is a different team, but it's not that different. Like, could they, if everything goes right, could they flirt with 10, 11 wins in a soft NFC and a soft NFC North? They could. It's feasible. Yeah, they could. And I, I think it's very possible. No question about it. He is Marcus Eversall. You better call Eversall weekday afternoons on WDUZ uh, in Green Bay. And you're back from paternity leave and you are rocking and rolling again. So what? which way do you go now? I mean, the Packers got OTAs coming up, so I'm assuming there'll be a lot of Packer talk uh, next week, right? Uh, Bucks are done, so they're done until they hire a new coach. How much do you talk Bucks and Brewers in Green Bay? I'm better call ever so. Well, Brewers baseball obviously is always a little tough with 162 games, but you know when they lose 18 to one like they did earlier this week, you can have a little fun with that. Hate the Cardinals, <laughs> hate them, hate them. Yeah, hate them. I know anything drastic like that, but always keep an eye on the Bucks coaching search for sure. I know. Bucks Nation is perennially unhappy and and not pleased with the with the what's been reported on the coaching search so far. I, I was still I don't know about you, Sparky. I, I was actually surprised that they wound up firing Bud. I just didn't think they would. I get it. I know they're all into to win another championship. They didn't think Bud was the guy. He got thoroughly outcoached against Bolster in the Heat, but I just I just didn't think they were going to do it. He won a championship two years ago, and they. They give him the axe, and now every every name you're hearing, it's kind of like, hmm, okay, like except yeah, so, Nick Nurse, no Nick except, Nurse, except no Nick Nurse, yeah, wh- like why no Nick Nurse? So Nathan Marzian, who I do the Green and Growing podcast with, uh, said on I think it was our last podcast or two podcasts ago that he heard rumblings that Giannis does not like Nick Nurse. Um, so if if that's the case, then there's going to be no Nick Nurse interview because that, that he's it's never going to get off the ground to yeah. go. Now, but Giannis does like Calvin Sampson, I believe. Uh, okay. And Calvin Sampson is the latest one uh, to interview the uh, Houston coach, who was a former Bucks assistant, if you remember, uh, back in the day. So there is that relationship with Giannis. He is not a bud guy. Calvin Sampson is not bud. You know, Kenny Atkinson is a bud guy. Was an assistant under bud, assistant under Larry Drew back in the day. Was a Nets head coach. I think a lot of people are on the Kenny Atkinson bandwagon. I, my bandwagon, is Sam Cassell, who they still have an asked to interview. Uh, and my other one, who I didn't think about until they requested an interview. I'm down with Chris Quinn. Bingo. I'm down. I'm in. I'm I'm in. Bring that yep. bring that heat culture here. I'm fine with it. That was a three point shooter, so he's going to respect the three point shot. He's not going to completely go away from the modern NBA offense of what they want to do. He shoot a bunch of three point shots. He's a younger guy. Can relate to these guys. He's been in the NBA not too long ago. He knows the ups and downs and how to treat players and how he wants to be treated. And anything attached to Spolster, I'm in on. Yeah, that I. I was waiting for you to say that name, Chris Quinn. And I, and I, like you, he wasn't really on my radar. They requested to interview him. And actually last night, my son woke up. He's being kind of fussy. So at about between about, I'd say 2 a.m. and 3.15, I convinced myself that Chris Quinn is my favorite candidate that they have requested to interview thus far. I mean, they describe him as Spolstra's mini me, like he's his right-hand man, 39 years old. I'm like, that's because I don't, 
you, when you fire a coach who won a championship two years ago, snapped a 50-year drought, Mike Budenholzer is responsible for literally half of the Bucks' titles ever. When you fire a guy like that two years later, I don't want it to feel like, I don't know, settling or feel like a retread type thing. Chris Quinn would be like, okay, that's, that's a breath of fresh air. That's something different. I get it. And it would feel like you know, the whole search, what, you know, wasn't just going through the motions. So I am, I am totally down with Chris Quinn for the record. Yeah. it's awesome. Follow him on Twitter at Marcus Eversall again, WDUZ weekday afternoons uh, there. Marcus, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks Sparky. Always a pleasure. You betcha. Be good. There he is. Have a good one.